I also appreciate for the last three weeks when we've been talking about self-control, there is a very, very big risk. We could actually go down the lines of simply berating churches going, you just need to try harder. There's a very big risk that we could be doing with that. Thankfully, for the last three weeks, well, we tried harder. <laughs> and we actually, I appreciate the emphasis that has been placed on the grace of God throughout all of this. That self-control is a work of the Spirit in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God is doing in us. And it's really been good to be able to tap into this. I was walking my new dog last night. And I'm walking, you know, young Jake. He's a, he's a four-and-a-half-month-old Kelpie. All right? And he's, 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 a, he's, he's, he's a crazy dog at times. But when I put that lead on him and we go on the street, he's a very different animal. All of a sudden, he locks in and he realizes the guy holding the lead means business. And I'm very firm with him. And every time I say stop, he stops. Like, he'll stop mid-step now. It's like... <laughs> it's, it's awesome. You know, this guy's, he's really learning and, and picking things up. But I also know for that season when we're out in the street with that lead... He is really, really trying in that time. He is trying harder. And he is in this zone of, I've got to please Dad, I've got to please Dad, I've got to please Dad, I've got to please Dad. And, and he's doing everything I'm saying. He's locked in. And then we get walk straight into the house, take that lead off him, and he runs wild. Because he has been using all this pent-up energy trying harder all this self-control, fighting what he actually is. And then when he's allowed to drop the guard, boom, he's gone. The real instinct of the real Jake comes out. Christian discipleship has, can sometimes be preached the way we're training Jake. Try harder. You're on the lead. Jesus is there. He's driving us. Just be hard. You can work harder. You know, you've got Jesus. He's forgiven you. You can do better. And a lot of prosperity doctrine doesn't help us either because the power's in you. You know, you've got all, you've got all this potential. You've got all the, hang on. No, we have the spirit in us, working in us day by day. So it's not just a case of, short moments where we try harder and then we drop the ball altogether, it's actually an ability to live out the work of the Spirit in our life, the, the, the walking step of the Spirit every day of our lives, self-controlled every day of our lives because the Spirit is transforming us. When we get into Ephesians, we see this happening. The first three chapters are amazing. Paul is teaching us that we are in Christ. That's his pet word to describe what a Christian is. Somebody who is in Christ. And being in Christ means being an insider of this thing called a mystery, the mystery of the gospel. We don't fully understand the gospel. It's a mystery. It's a way of life given to us in a way that we can't fully work out and we dare not have every little thing worked out lest we become arrogant in doing so. But we receive and embrace it by simple faith, somehow knowing it to be real nonetheless. 
Paul explains that this mystery is not a blind one. It does have significant evidence. We have the tangibly present and alive and active Holy Spirit walking side by side with us, and we know that to be true. And Paul describes the work of the Spirit as a deposit or the pledge of what is still to come for us. The mystery of the gospel leads us to a conclusion that we are saved, not by works, but by God's grace. And we are now a reconciled, a redeemed people with the citizenship of a new kingdom, both promised and given to us. It's a mystery of the gospel again in play. The mystery declares we are no longer slaves of the world and its ideologies. And there is a present and future concept in play of being made alive in Christ. In amongst all this, we're, we're told that there is a new self. There's a new reality to who we are because of the work of God's grace in our life. And our capacity for self-control now comes from that status, not our human strength. The world in its shallowness says, try harder, try harder, get the lead on, stay in the zone, walk your lane, stay hard, try harder. But the Spirit enables us to express the life that the transforming, resurrecting, saving gospel calls us to. With all that in mind, as we come to the fourth week of talking about self-control, it does get to the point where we have to conclude with the work of the Spirit so alive and active in us that self-control does ultimately lead to a tangible change in our behavior. I think Ephesians 4, with the foundation Paul has already laid, actually helps us consider what that life with self-control looks like. Chapter 4 has been written and strategically placed. The work of God has been highlighted. It's been heralded. It's been proclaimed. And as we come to this final week, it's kind of appropriate, finally, to consider the way we respond. What does self-control actually look like with arms and legs? What are some of the areas where self-control should have an outlet and should have expression in us? Again, empowered by the Spirit. What does the Spirit produce in us where self-control plays a part? Let's read a few things here and ponder Ephesians 4. I'm, go, I'm just going to... There's a part there which is all about um, ascension gifts and pastures and, and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to go into that today. When we get into Ephesians, perhaps next year, I'd hope so, we'll examine that sort of journey and look at that sort of stuff. But I just want to look around that and look at some verses through that today. So we'll look at verses 1 to 6 and then we'll skip down to verse 17. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's read together. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's go down to verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned about Christ, and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Some translations open this chapter with the word, therefore. We know that this chapter is all, is all being presented with the previous understanding, the previous three chapters understood and in place. This is illustrated for later in the chapter two. Don't live the way of the pagans. Don't succumb to their futile, dark, ignorant, self-seeking, desensitized ways. That is no longer who you are. That's the old self. So don't live like that. Instead, in the power of grace, the Ephesians are not being rebuked here, but they are being challenged to live up to the status they now have. Because we are in Christ, we are equipped to exhibit self-control that is in keeping with who we now are and are still becoming. In Christ, things about our conduct and character can be tangibly different. This spirit-enabled self-control that we have produces behavior that is different to the world. It's different to our former self. Although the process of attaining this status of being in Christ might be shrouded in mystery, the outworking of it in Paul's mind is clearly not. And he presents us with some areas of our lives where we should expect to see self-control in action. 
The first six verses give us four simple traits for us to consider. Humility, gentleness, patience, and unity. And they are all four very loaded terms. Humility was confronting for the Greek and Roman culture that Ephesus was situated in. Humility was weakness, not strength, in a worldly view. The idea of lowering our view of ourselves, that's what humility is, was counterintuitive in a place where everyone was on a fast track of becoming somebody. People were pawns in a game, bodies to walk over as you ascended to the top. It was true in education, in philosophy, in politics. (laughs) We all know about politics, right, that way? But even in religion. In ancient Greek culture, any form of servitude was detested. Earlier this year, when I was in India, I discovered that any form of servitude actually put you outside of the caste system and rendered you in a place where you were even less than human. And religion dictated those terms. The church is being called here to be something different. Instead of elevating ourselves and counting bodies in our wake, we were called, we are to allow others to shine even if we don't. Jesus told his disciples to do that very thing. If you're invited to a party, take the lowest seat until someone invites you higher. If you want to be great, learn to serve. And he did so in person. If it's good enough for the incarnate God to do so, so should we, right? Humility. It takes self-control to be humble, friends. Gentleness is also known as meekness. This is the stuff that Jesus said was an earth-inheriting quality. This is not a being a doormat. It's a case of the power of a person being kept under appropriate restraint and self-discipline. It's the decision to not exploit the mistakes of another person. To not use any form of power-broking or manipulation to get our own way. The decision to not use power to our own advantage. Instead, through self-control, we can exercise power in the form of mercy and we can use, use our fight mechanisms for the causes of justice, the things that really matter. Paul talks about patience. This is actually sometimes called long-suffering, depending on the translation you have. It's different to the endurance we'll be talking about next month. This is actively making allowance for the faults of others because of the love we have for them. If you're going, gee, that sounds familiar, it should. In our theology, that should certainly sound different, sound familiar. The Greek word used here is makrothumio. This is a challenge. It, It appeals to thumos, an unpredictable part of our internal makeup. 
that fire in the belly that we have where we can do really good things or really bad things with, that drive that we have, that call for justice, that call for action, that, 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 that zeal that we get, that, that, and sometimes that temper that we have. In Greek, Greek philosophy, it came from the thumos of a person. Macro means to elongate. To actually take that part of us and allow it to be stretched and stretched and stretched and not broken. So it's actually the, it's a self-control mechanism. Choosing to not be ill-tempered. Choosing to be patient with people, even if they tick us off. Choosing to be stretched in our inner self and allowing that stretching even if it hurts because we love the person who is stretching us. And, and I, I think Paul used that word deliberately. If he's as smart as everybody believes he is, guarantee it. See, he, 300 years BC, before Christ, there was a Greek version of the, New, of the Old Testament written, right? And this word was used to describe the character of God. In Exodus 34, verse 6, where we've got the Lord showing himself. He's, he's walking past Moses. You probably know the verse. And as he's doing so, he's declaring himself. Compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger is the same Greek word used there in the, in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, as what Paul is using here for our patience. Romans 2 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? If patience is such a godlike quality and the church is an expression of the wisdom of God, then we need to take notice of this passage and examine the degree of patience that comes out of us. Unity. This is using our self-control to not go into business for ourselves, to not set our own agendas and instead take a deliberate stand of walking together in step with the Spirit. The phrase Paul uses is united in the spirit here. Today, when we have our church members meeting, that is the stance that we are to have as we do so after the service. When members come together to deliberate, to vote, to discuss the matters of the church, this is the sort of unity that is called for. Unity in the Spirit, together discerning what the Spirit is active and doing and partnering with that and moving forward together. And doing so with an attitude of peace and well-being. Looking for the overall welfare of each other, for the overall welfare of the mission of God, for the overall welfare of how our congregation moves forward in health and, and vibrancy together. It's amazing what unity looks like. 
The agenda of the church is whatever the Holy Spirit is doing. Not what any individual wants to do. If we get pastors getting up going, I have a vision and you will follow, that's actually out of step with what the Spirit actually does. Together, we come to a place of unity to determine what the Spirit is saying. Towards the end of the chapter, Paul offers some other ways where the new self, our new ability for that to be controlled, can play out. Let me deal with these real briefly. He says to put off falsehood. And this is a nod to Zechariah 8. These are the things you are to do. Speaking to God's people, how they conduct themselves. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. That's a pretty strong phrase right there. Something about division really gets God's go. He really does, he really does not appreciate disunity in, the, in anything amongst his people, right? Self-control helps us deal with anger. And Paul is giving a nod to Psalm chapter 4 when he says this. Tremble, tremble and do not sin. Mm. feel the burn the inside tremble that thing that goes be aware of that stop and don't sin with it capture the thumos and put it to good use when you're in your beds search your hearts and be silent Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. What does Selah mean? Have you ever heard that? Pause and reflect. Pause and ponder. Pause and ponder. Every time you see it in the Psalms, take a breath. Drink it in. Consider it. Scholars tell us that the original Hebrew version of this verse actually had an extra salah thrown into it as well. Twice. Take a breath, reflect, breathe in a verse about anger. We also know from context that these warnings are about falsehood and anger are referring to behavior amongst the church community. We're reminded about being a body here. Therefore, that sort of conduct actually hurts the whole of us. And that conduct like that conducts, creates a foothold to the, or a point of vulnerability for the enemy to get amongst things. But thankfully, we have a new self. We have a new capacity to be controlled by the Spirit. Therefore, these things need not happen if we're in step with him, right? The rest is all really self-explanatory stuff. Stop thieving. We might think of the little and passive expressions of that also. You know, the $5 misgiven change. The, 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 um, the figures we might put on our tax returns. The different things that we do that might look about what, what honesty and what generosity also looks like too. Get a job, do it well, use your income for the welfare of others. Self-control actually feeds into those things. Paul says, don't waste our breath on unwholesome words. 
The Greek refers to words of poor quality as well as the things we might call evil or harmful. When we live worthy of the calling we've received, our speech changes. I've heard of actual pastors, their testimony actually says, I had almost, I was an English-speaking citizen and I had to learn to completely speak again in Christ. And people would talk about how neighbours would notice or friends and family would notice how these once big, gruff brawlers and, and, and really rough people would actually come to faith and within a really short amount of time, just by what they're speaking, people around them and go, what's different about you right now? Because the Spirit does something and actually teaches us to speak again in a different way. There's a call for worthy believers to jettison significant behaviours. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger. All that fighting and brawling. Don't take pleasure in conflict. Get rid of malice. Deal with our sexual misconducts. Consider the way we live and the way we think. And if there's impurities or things in there, the Spirit wants to help purge those things away from us and create a whole new ability to live differently. We're reminded that forgiveness should have an expression. And Paul goes as far as to call it the forgiveness in line with the stuff that Christ extends to us. No big, no big small challenge there, eh? Talks about having compassion. Compassion is the capacity to be moved deeply. It's one of my favorite Greek, Greek words. I won't repeat it now, but it actually means to be moved as deep as the bowels. In other words, that gets me right here. Compassion is about oh, the ability to be caught here and gripped by something and moved by something. Be compassionate to another person. We should be different. Obscenity and profanity and foolish talk and filthy joking. Get rid of that stuff and instead choose thanksgiving. Choose words of blessing. We have the capacity to fight off greed. Left unchecked, I know what I'm like. There's a tendency to put our own wants and gratification at the center of our existence. We can become our own God. We can end up worshipping creation rather than the creator. Real fast, even in church, even as Christians. And because we're being renewed continually, and because we are working with a new self, not the old one, there is a sense of discernment and awareness of light which is present in a spirit-led believer. Paul writes not to let anyone deceive us with empty words or partner ourselves with them or their conduct. And this will naturally happen the more we become new in Christ. Twelve big things. Self-control affects all of those things. This trait that we have that we really should get nailed down 
can affect so many things, can't it? The last two pieces of our self-control wall. Speaking of self-control, you should have seen me yesterday when it was blisteringly cold in this building and I put a couple of boards up in advance and I hit my thumb with my hammer. Let your speech be pure, Cam. Yes. It was. I was in the house of God. What could I do wrong? Self-control done. There's so much we could talk about from here. But it's my simple prayer now that we take home these things and do some spirit-led reflection in these regards. What is self-control producing in me? How is it affecting my life? How is it influencing me? I'll offer one last reflection as we wind up here now. A while back, I was in a Bible study setting. One of the earliest young adults Bible studies that I had in, in, in this church. Someone made an excellent point. That the world is actually full of people that we would call patient, caring, gentle, humble, wholesome people already. This week, we actually learned about the passing of, of Bill Collins, you know, the movie buff. And ABC Radio were just, all these tributes are flowing in and everyone says he is the consummate gentleman. You know, they're, they're, we have, we've got people that are spoken of in these traits in a really big way in the world around us. How can Christians be any different to these sort of guys? A lot of people might resonate with that, thinking that that's what we just laid out today actually sounds like what a good person should be, Christian or not, and it should. As I consider this passage and others, as I consider the self-control that is put in place by the Spirit, I actually see something a little bit more deeper and more challenging. Yes, in the world, I can be humble and proud of it. I can be humble to a point. There's a limit to my worldly humility. Yeah? In the world, I can be kind. I can be gentle. I can be patient. I can be restrained. I can be calm. For the most part, in short spurts, like my friend Jake on the lead. Left to my own devices, I can do it for a season. But I'm not always that way. It's not my natural disposition. It's not something, it's not my new default. In all these traits, in a worldly setting, they all have a breaking point that is not consistent with what Paul calls believers to be here. 
the Spirit actually empowers us with better outcomes than what the world actually has. Not because we can try harder, but because the Spirit gives us a better self. It's in the image of God. It's in the image of Christ. How can it not be better? In my own strength, I can't be patient like God is. In my own strength, I can't hold my temper that long. In my own strength, I can't embrace the agendas of others over my own for any extended amount of time. In my own strength, my language would be very different very quickly. In my own strength, love is a very low bar. Like I said, I'd do okay for a season, but we, I would fall short, and I know that you would too. Even in faith, we sometimes fall into the trap of doing it our own way, don't we? I don't need you, Jesus, so I can do this on my own. Or I'm going to default to what other people have told me, and I'm just going to try harder with this. We end up reducing our faith to trying harder and doing things for God, including personal change. When the best way forward is to engage with God and allow His work in us to transform us. Perhaps as we reflect in a moment, you'll be made aware of an area mentioned today where self-control needs work. If you say something like, this week I'm going to do better in that area, you'll drop the ball by Tuesday. That's try harder, that's not grace. Instead, our response to those nudgings of the Spirit should be one of surrender and prayer. Maybe a prayer that is kind of like this, God, I acknowledge that what you have shown to me this morning is evidence of my old self, not my new one. So I place myself under your leading and I ask the Spirit to come alongside and speak to me. I pray you would continue to transform me to keep renewing me, to keep leading me, and to keep empowering me to live in the calling I now have. I cling to your grace. I trust your saving, transforming work in my life. So may my life continually reflect your goodness, your grace, and your transforming power in Jesus' name. Tell you what, if you're doing that instead of going, I'm just going to deal with this one problem and I'm going to do better, God, and instead cling to his grace, I believe God can do some really powerful things in us and the self-control will just change in us. Not because we tried harder, but because God's work is better than ours. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray.